All right, folks, we're here live once again in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, and what's up? And welcome back to, I believe, episode 105 of How You Living. Yeah, at least episode 104. As always, I'm uh, lost and confused due to our new uh, COVID hiatuses. <laughs> uh, but yes, folks, we are here live once again. Uh, truly in the Chaz Tower atop the million dollar, well, whoa, 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 in the million dollar studios atop the Chaz Tower. And uh, simple little game here we play. We just uh, have a podcast, and uh, it always starts with me asking you, Chaz, my friend, uh, how you living, man? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain. Um, <clears throat> I think when we last spoke, we started talking about like COVID and the Delta variant. It looks like the Delta variant surge is finally like going down and finally, you know, and vaccine mandates are finally coming through. Well, I mean, I know Joe Biden had to wait for approval of um, at least one of them. Hopefully Moderna will get one soon because apparently that one has better uh, antibody creation than Pfizer. As I shake my fist being a part of Pfizer fam. <laughs> <laughs> I got that Moderna. That's See, oh, you the, got double, double yeah. antibodies. I'm just, yeah, we out here. We out here. Yeah, I went with it. I went with it because it was at the closest clinic when I went to get the shot. So uh, proximity got me Moderna. Uh, but yeah, folks, that's right. Uh, this is a show where we usually start shows talking about things that we've talked about before, like he just did. And uh, we like to call that segment callbacks. Go, 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 callbacks. Yeah. So, yeah, call back to the... Call back to the Delta variant. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, uh, it's still around, but yeah, it's good. It's good to see some of the numbers coming down. Good to see that booster shots are available now and people are uh, setting up to get them. And the people that are getting either the vaccine for the first time or recently, uh, I applaud all of you for your taking advantage of science during this pandemic. And uh, yeah, so, you know, looking forward with, uh, with this pandemic, uh, how do you how do you think the response has been, Chaz? I mean, I, I we all know we think I think forty five did a shitty job at this, right? And I think Congress did a shitty job as well too. Um, I think Congress did an, a better job once Biden came into office, but I mean, I think we went from being like a straight F to like a C minus right now, right? So that looks leaps and bounds better, right? But yeah. Yeah, it does. And I mean, uh, I'm just hopeful for everybody that we get it figured out. You know, I mean, ultimately, mm -hmm. it's like torn up the economy. It's torn up families. It's like people have died. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, and it's it's like having these crazy other rippling effects like the um, logistics right now in the business market is really disrupted. Oh, yeah. the Oh, we want to talk about the uh, what is it? The supply chain? Yeah. The supply, like, I've been hearing about different things. So, Hansu Politics got into the um, supply chain and just how, like, many different places in China just, like, can't make the things. Like, microchips, we've known this for a while. Just, like, that's why cars weren't being uh, manufactured. Right. And then we had that incidents in the Suez Canal uh, not too long ago where 
that block global trade. So we're learning that like all this like abundance that people have, all these like let let me let me make it a little bit personal, I guess. And this is this is this is gonna sound like an ad, but it's not an ad, right? So no, what were you gonna say? <laughs> no, I was just waiting. I was just like, I was, I was like, is this where I, I, I find out that that you've got us a sponsor? And you're like, this is gonna sound like an ad, but for real, Squarespace.com. <laughs> changing. No, no, I wish. So if a pair of thieves wants to, uh, you know, be a sponsor, but I recently uh, just ordered. Uh, so well, I just bought one of their their joggers, right? There's well, they're not joggers, they're lounge pants. But I'm like, I really like these, so I'm gonna get some more, right? But then you know, I haven't heard back on my next order, and I'm like, is this a supply chain issue? <laughs> yeah, I like this. We're creating a new segment where, where Chaz just ats people that he could get through the internet, but instead uses the podcast forum to to at them vo- vocally. I like it. And. Oh, no, I was going to say, and I will say, they have the whole, like, their underwear is supposed to have no sweaty ass, and because, <laughs> right, right, yeah, or or they just say swass for short, no swass. Like, there's a very cute commercial with Jessica Alba, where apparently her husband, I'm presumably her husband, is the one who started Paris uh, Steve's, Paris Steve's, Paris Steve's. <laughs> Pair of Thieves, I thought, was our, like, reverse buddy comedy we were going to do, where instead of being a cop buddy thing, we were going to be a pair of thieves. I thought that was what uh, you were talking about, but apparently it's not the script that we wrote in college. It's actually... (laughs) It wasn't. It's it's a clothing line? Is this an online clothing line? Do they have brick and mortar? So here's the thing. I first saw them when I went to Target randomly, right? And funny enough, actually, actually, wow. Oh, hmm. Just about everything Chaz is wearing right now, he bought from Target. So, <laughs> what is happening? I don't know what happened. I, I don't know. I don't know. Chaz I'm going on wild might, tangents. Chaz might have sold ads for the show without <laughs> telling his producer because I I don't know, guys. I did. It's, All I know is there's a piece of paper being waved at me right now, and it says shoptarget.com. <laughs> use code Chaz says to get no percent off anything because it's a made up commercial. No, I just found it funny that like I was like, okay. So what I what I wanted to go into is like every year, usually I go to Old Navy to buy clothes, but it's the pandemic, <laughs> right? So I didn't buy clothes last year. Old Navy, year. which is owned by the company that owns Gap, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, continue. Right. So because of that, like I was in once I got vaccinated and felt comfortable going places. One of the first places I went was Target, and then <laughs> pair of these. Same. <laughs> Same. Like for real, that that hit. I did go to the local Target. It's in Northgate in the Seattle area. Shout out if you've been to the Northgate Target. But yeah, for real. Okay. Now you're getting now you brought me back in. Right. So and then I saw and I was like, you know what? Your boy needs some new underwear. Right. A pair of thieves was just sitting on the rack and I'm like, this looks neat. And I like the colors. And it were like twenty dollars a pack for four. So I'm like But if you use the code Chaz, there's twenty dollars a pack for four. So Use it every time. Right. And then so I grabbed two of them and I'm like, oh, okay, he's hitting. And now I see these commercials and I'm like, no swass. And I'm like, you know, I never okay. have had a sweaty ass in these. There's your swass report, guys. <laughs> yeah, we were making segments by the mark. All right. I'm going to close the book on callbacks because 
we're already getting close to talking about the things that are happening now anyway. So Indeed. We, we've, Indeed. Arri- we've arrived at the 105th approximate episode where I usually don't know which episode it is. Um, it'd be easy to do research because I do own the website. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I have brought us here to approximate 105. And uh, Chaz, what major topic or is it a continuation of what we're talking about? Is going on right now. You wanna you wanna take some time from this podcast. Um, we could talk about the pandemic a little bit, but I think the big thing that happened in the past few weeks since we last uh, did a show was uh, the abortion bill in Texas. Okay, and what that could do in terms of like Roe v. Wade and everything like that, and, and it kind of works into a little bit of a callback too because we have talked about. Abortion. And tr- traditionally, you've been in favor of this bill, right? No. <laughs> no, dude. Oh, okay. Dude. Okay, sorry. Nah. Sorry. Nah. Okay. Okay, I'm getting another card <laughs> waved at me, and he says that Chaz is actually anti this bill. So, okay. I'm glad the producer has a producer now. We've hired out, guys. We were spending all the million on us, but now we're expanding. So, all right. Uh, yeah, so so the bill the bill is official. It's It's... Is it in practice at this time? Because you know, there's always that timeline between when a bill is passed mm-hmm. and it's. Uh... Yeah, it was a state bill. I think it was State Bill One in Texas. I don't. I should. I should have actually had notes in front of me. I'm doing this more off the cuff than anything like that right now. Yeah, the producer just took a break. Otherwise, we'd ask him to do it. <laughs> uh, but um. But basically, the whole thing about it is that you get a bounty for about ten thousand dollars. Um. If you successfully sue um, somebody who either is getting an abortion after six weeks or is aiding a person getting an abortion after six weeks. And I think there is a one case that has been brought to. So, like, clearly, so the thing is, like, this was a strategy deemed by the GOP because of Roe v. Wade. Almost everything like that, like the heartbeat bills that this is similar to in other states, usually get knocked down because... Roe v. Wade says, like, no, you can't do that. Right. But for this one, because it's not the state that enforces it, it's any old Tom, Dick, or Harry. Um, you, they were, like, the Supreme Court, they said, well, we don't know who we would be prosecuting against this for, so we can't say that this bill doesn't go into practice, even though <clears throat> clearly it will lead to illegal ends right so so this is this is where like you know federalism how do they want to call it uh what's that phrase um the states are the laboratory of democracy or whatever yeah this is one of the like the nefarious versions of that so all right and i mean you know that's that's reared its head in different forms obviously like term limits uh came out of that same kind of uh bubble thinking um which, you know, now people are rethinking in, in terms of the modern era because they're tired of certain government officials. But uh, I think the Democrats proved that uh, term limits were a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, the, the laboratories of democracy are definitely the state legislatures and how they enact bills and, and how they're practiced. Um, and, you know, uh, the court is, is the biggest kind of obstacle right now uh, with those lifetime appointments and the further leaning conservative court that we have mm-hmm. it is a dangerous prospect and yeah i don't know uh 
really how to combat that without, yeah, getting uh, elected officials back into Congress where we might be able to alter some of those rules, you know? Yeah, and because Roe v. Wade has never been codified into law, and for it to, like, actually stick, we would need to codify it into law. But, of course, uh, the pro-life versus pro-choice divide is big in the country, and unless you get rid of the filibuster, which is a thing we've talked about on previous episodes time and time again, it's not likely that this Congress would be able to do it, because there's no way in hell you're going to get 10 Republicans to do that shit. No way in fucking hell. Right. Right, like that. That's like one of their core tenets. They're 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 just gonna no. Yeah, you will. I know because I mean, even if they don't agree with the guys on their side of the aisle or the people on their side of the aisle, uh, they know ultimately if they make a power move at some point and they become leader of that party, they get that support also uh, in the nomination pool. You know, mm-hmm. it, they could be in power and help to select who gets nominated. Uh, yeah, I I know, man. It's uh. It's interesting because now with the court going conservative and elections typically being Republican territory, like we have to really get these kind of like standout candidates to win some of these elections in these like red or purple states. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to be mad about right now, too, with this administration like. Like Joe Biden, uh, he he uh, I need to find a direct quote, but there's like right now. I think the toughest decision is, do you piecemeal the filibuster about certain things or do you get rid of it carte blanche, right? And uh, at least listening to like things like left, right, and center and hearing like people who are on the right but are libertarian, right? Mm-hmm. They, they are, would be like, no, please don't get rid of the filibuster or every four years or so or every eight years you would just get like flip-flopping of like what is what the like what is lawful in the country, right? Because it'll just be whatever the people in power think is supposed yeah. to be there. So, and so to some degree, like <clears throat> bipartisanship, like like and honestly, I think like you've talked about it before. Like the parliamentary system would be better, right? And I don't know whatever would get America to get off of its dual democracy bullshit it is on, but really, it's not being effective anymore, right? And I mean, I, I what it would take is the curriculum to change where people, uh, uh, you know, science or based create curriculum that teach teachers to teach people that there's a possibility mm-hmm. there's another way. Mm-hmm. And then the youth grow up believing there's a possibility there's another way. And then they try another way because we were taught we were kind of the edge of the reverse, mm-hmm. which is like America, the great America, the beautiful America's got no problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's you, definitely like, implicitly what I grew up with. Yeah, and then as you grow beyond into, like, college years and stuff mm-hmm. and start seeing some of the fallacies and the problems and the bureaucracy and, and, and the issues that come with it, uh, you know, you, you start kind of seeing the cracks in it and wondering what can be done, and then you watch people or you yourself try, and you hit the molasses kind of incapable ability to affect change in any natural way in a lot of ways when you try to do that through political means or in local governments and stuff, and it becomes binding and, and, and you know, a lot of those efforts uh, fail or go away, you know. And then we see some of the successful ones. You know, we've seen the examples of people who break through or make change or, like, an AOC election, you know, was grassroots. No one knew who she was when she was running and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Like, uh, they exist, but, you know, they're definitely the rare and I think in a parliamentary system, because it divides out the power of viewpoint, 
through the like having a large uh, selection of parties, mm-hmm. you you get minority voices having can can have some kind of niche views and like very yeah. like specific things they want to kind of focus on. And then when they come into power, they use those as bargaining chips to negotiate with the other parties to create a coalition that can create a power unit that kind of runs. And then you you get the elected leader of that as the prime minister, typically in most of these situations. And then those kind of minority voices can continue to use um, the you know the things they want to do in the Congress or whatever they call it, you know, the Parliament. Um, they can, you know, address those issues while they kind of work with these other people, depending on which side of the coin they land on. And so uh, it's bred both, you know, kind of some of these weird kind of gray area parties where there are people that are kind of like what we would call like a Colorado or like an Idaho at Mm -hmm. times, you know, kind of these mixed people that can't, oh, I'm for like clean rivers and stuff, but then they also like guns, you know. Uh, you know, you'll get some of those parties, but they don't take like as much of the power as everything else because then the tech sector would have like uh, a, a viewpoint, you know, the environmental section would have a viewpoint, you know. Uh, I think activism and nonprofits would probably have kind of an active role there, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I think we're seeing it here in Seattle. I mean, Nikita Oliver's got a pretty good shot at this city council seat. Yeah, which is good because you know we we were supporting her a few years back for her uh, mayoral run. Um, Next episode, y'all, we're gonna do local politics. Yeah, so. our annual look at Seattle politics. Mm-hmm. And we, we and looking the forward primary to primary because I was lazy. I mean, COVID COVID is weird. You know, <laughs> I mean, a like I we're just both busy and mm-hmm. it's just like you know it's stressful out there and it's hard to kind of like get together and and like yeah do stuff so we're uh we're getting it in as best we can and i'm sure once we get the ball rolling more consistently again we'll we'll have mm-hmm. more consistent uh episode dates releases hell yeah uh what else uh has been uh on your plate recently outside of the your opinion on biden and the and the COVID issues and i mean like well bill? I, I, I did want to dive into that a little bit more because like right now it feels as though like we're spending a lot of it, a lot of time on the um the debt ceiling bill and the um the what's it called infrastructure the infrastructure bill and then like the infrastructure bill like again I don't know why we have to keep saying fuck Joe Manchin right <laughs> like I know now that Joe Manchin has muddied interests in um a lot of the businesses that are in the backbone of. Uh, West Virginia and everything like that. The coal mining. Yeah. Resource allocation. And the fact that, like, first of all, the fucking framing that, like, well, well, let, let me start from the beginning. One, the real bill that the progressives want was $6 trillion over 10 years. Right? Then, you know, we bit ourselves in the ass as progressives and said, okay, we'll, we'll compromise with you and go down to $3.5 million. Now I feel like Joe Manchin, because you know he has all the power, is just pulling some arbitrary fucking number out of his ass yeah. and being like, no, I, I would only deal with $1.5 And when it comes to all the things that we wanted to do in the bill originally, it feels like if we want to be effective with it, we're going to have to like pare it down by a lot. And I guess that happens in all government things, but... Right now, it does do seem like they're on the road to being more half-assed. Like one example is, there's supposed to be uh, dental work in the bill, 
but eight years in, right? And wow, right? And then also the thing to say too, like right now at three point five trillion dollars, that's fifty billion dollars a year. So like saying like we spend seven hundred and fifty billion dollars on the military every year. So it's like. And like so, and the reason why I say that is one of Joe Manchin's reasons, in quotations, air quotes, real hard, um, is that he's like we spent a lot of money, which is true, and it's like, and we need to slow it down a little bit. And I was like, okay, but in the grand scheme of the money that the government has, and in the grand scheme that it costs to raise this money, especially. With like with the different taxes, like the estate taxes they're doing and everything, and this is where like the moderate Democrats actually start being like, I don't know about all that because again, like in order to understand American politics, you have to understand that even the left is on the right when it comes to neoliberals and neocons, all right. And so there's going to be like so the progressives aren't even as left as other places is. They're just like no. We want to provide for our people, and people are like, I don't know about that. Rich people want to keep their money. I don't know about that. We still need to dig up fossil fuels that's going to kill humanity, right? Like, yeah. And, and, and because I understand everyone's perspectives and where they're coming from, I just don't agree them fighting so hard for outcomes that are ultimately going to be detrimental and only doing a lot to switch people's egos instead of looking at, like, better outcomes for the people as a whole. Right. And... So, yeah, that's why I'm, like, frustrated with this whole process. And then we got midterms coming up. I think we have, we probably have less than 400 days now until midterms, right? And we have the new, and we remember, we, ha- we just had the census. That means gerrymandering, um, the redistricting is going to happen. And we know that, um, what's going to call it, Republicans own more state houses than Democrats. And we know they precision choose gerrymandering to keep themselves in power so democrats what the fuck are you doing like it's just stupid like like and then like what i wanted to say about joe biden earlier about the voting is he was saying like you know what we can um out organize voter suppression it's like bitch nigga like no like you are the head of state right now. You technically own both houses. Yeah, you would have to get rid of the filibuster. And in this particular instance, you would have to get rid of the filibuster. Or you can, because you can get rid of the filibuster for certain things, it seems. I don't know the entire gist of that. But what I've heard as a solution is get rid of the filibuster when it comes to voting rights and give people, codify the fucking voting rights that people need to get rid of all this fucking gerrymandering. Because if you don't, ultimately, like, we, we, it will be like, well, like, if enough people get into, like, Congress and into Senate, you're just going to see a very overzealous, over-religious, like, hyper-heteronormative um, society that would be based on you toiling your life away to make other people money because you're supposed to value work as your deepest core, right? Like, like, come the fuck on. You, you, like, 
as much as America talks about being the land of the free, right, under conservatives, I'm sorry, conservatives, we would not be free. No, I mean, like, basically, we would have some freedoms, right? Because freedom is just, like, uh, having choices, right? Right. So that means, like, when you understand that, you can see that some people are more free than others, right? And then with liberty, liberty is just the ability to choose freely between your choices. But given money and access, some people have fewer choices than others. Like, I have enough money. So I can go on Uber and Eats and be like, oh, look at all these things I am at, liberty to order, all right? But someone else living in the street, like I was walking around just today because I went um, to Capitol Hill and I saw someone looking for food in the trash. You think that person has just as much liberty as you do? No, the fuck they don't. Right. Right. And do they think they have same access to freedom as you do? No, the fuck they don't. But do you want to help them? Do you want to get them in the place where they do? No, because you understand fundamentally that for America to work, people like that person need to exist. And and that is why I'm a progressive, because I'm like, no, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, well, and I mean, it. it's not even just retooling, like doing like a parliamentary thing. Like you, mm-hmm. have, you have to retool the incentive program what, mm-hmm. and and the value. I mean, and also, like, if you look at it, like a lot of this financial stuff, like, for instance, you know, we have all the. Uh, burden from the student debt uh, and then yet like you mentioned earlier we're spending all this money on the defense you mm-hmm. know and it's like it, it's clear that the money's there that we could we could erase some of these stress problems that are actually causing the issues within the economy and and perhaps people could get paid more so that they could actually afford some life and like help maybe on an individual level people they see that they see in their town and stuff because some of these problems could actually get dealt with on the local level if the local communities weren't so taxed and like you know at the end of their budgets because they're dealing with at this point now covid and rent Uh restriction laws and what that means with people not paying rent and trying to create programs that can help people pay rent and all these other kind of plates they're spending you know a lot of these programs are going bankrupt you know in a lot of these cities i mean biden put out a thing the other day about cutting states medicaid contributions coming from the feds you know which is which is a big thing Mm-hmm. there's basically been a 10-year expansion of Medicaid. So this would be not only, like, stopping the expansion, it would actually be reducing some care in certain areas, mm-hmm. depending on their budget shortcomings. So, uh, you know, it's it's the system at large. It's how, it's how the finances are developed. It's how the finances are marked on the books, how the little shell game, like something like that, the federal to the state to the local, where the money goes and that process, why it's all kind of... <clears throat> a broken, you know, until we 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 break apart all those mechanisms, you know, we're going to continue to see this bullshit. And and obviously, yeah, redistricting and the size and the and the shape of these districts and the areas that they take and the affluence or lack thereof or you know all these ways that they somehow articulate as even because ultimately they're supposed to be to some degree like equal parts. You know, is the theory uh, as far as like the number of people. So they have to really kind of organize strategically some of these districts in order to get the results that they're actually looking for. Um, so, you know, all those pieces need to be stood up for. And what we really need is some, you know, leaders that know that and know how to articulate individual ways that you can do that. And, you know, when I was studying politics growing up in, in college and stuff, we we were talking about, 
ways that we could reduce the level that dealt with the problem. So the less times you have to look beyond your local, your most local government or your most local agency of help um, to solve a problem is is always the best because it knows the ground level of the problems there. Mm-hmm. It's got the closest access to logistics of delivery of mechanisms and people and things. Oh, of course. And and once you start spreading that beyond, you get to the county level, you get to the state level, you get to the federal level. You know, and people who've listened to the entirety of our podcast know know we've talked about this before. But yeah, when you try to solve them in those levels, it uh, becomes incredibly expensive. It often is a mismanaged kind of one fits all problem solving <clears throat> situation, and so certain states falter or certain counties falter because it doesn't quite work for them. But it's the only option they have. And and the further up you go to get that that service, you you find those same kind of really expensive problems. And and so you know with that kind of focus, when you actually started to articulate these problems from the idea of what's the closest solution. You you'll be surprised where you can start to see inroads mm-hmm. that uh, with some direct spending, with some oversight and uh, some understanding of the basic economies of your what you're dealing with, mm-hmm. you can get some solutions on the ground that are out there running. Now those programs to start are going to be expensive. They need to be managed. You need to get the right people, which means you need to pay decent salaries, and and there are things like that that are in place that that would be necessary, and that's the kind of initial cost. But once you kind of start looking and addressing city problems and urban problems like like homelessness and and, and starvation and and you know uh, healthcare to the underemployed or unemployed, um, you know you'll actually start maybe seeing some of them uh, tipping towards being solved. You know, uh, as long as everyone kind of washes their hands of these problems because. Uh, you know, their budgets are shortfall and they can go COVID, COVID, COVID. And like, we didn't see this coming. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the more these problems are going to continue to fester. And, you know, it humanity has some vulnerabilities. Society has some vulnerabilities. And when we're dealing with lives and, and people are starving and people are mad and pissed and, you know, people are, are feeling like democracy is falling apart, you know, things happen. You know, people get unrest, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so we need to start really thinking about solving these problems and getting the power out of the hands of the money mongers who just honestly mm-hmm. want to create generational wealth for very small individual families. Yeah, corporate interests. Like, I remember listening to, um, right when, after the primary and into the general, right, just hearing about people who had a lot of money and was like, I don't know if I would have voted, like, just them being like, I don't know if I would have voted for Bernie because my money was more important than the Republic. And I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. They didn't say that, like, explicitly, but they said that implicitly. And I was like, oh, no, okay, so this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> right, so, yeah. like, I don't know. It, it is frustrating being an American right now, if you ask me, right? And... And I think it's frustrating for a lot of Americans. Like, you know, the other thing I wanted to touch on with COVID are the vaccine mandates. And they seem to actually be working. Even though, funny enough, like, mainstream media always seems to point out more so the folks who didn't get vaccinated versus the ones that did. Because in a lot of these um, stories, like in North Carolina and everything, it was 99% of people who got um, vaccinated in this one particular hospital 
then I believe, I can't remember the exact one, but I just heard the numbers recently, and it was like 367 people um, were going to be suspended. And then from that, 200 people were like, all right, put a shot in my arm. So, like, uh, of the, I think it was 67,000 workers, only 167 of them were let go. So, yeah. (laughs) And... So, like, and and we know, like, if you look at things from a more micro perspective, there are going to be people on TikTok. Like, I've seen TikToks of women who are nurses being like, no, they didn't, they, like, they they said this thing. And then this is why I brought up about freedom and liberty, because every time someone brings up a vaccine mandate, they're like, they're trying to take away our freedoms. I'm like, no, you still have the ability to choose, right? And you still have access to a set of choices you just now have access to fewer choices if you decide to go with one main choice and that's the point of the mandate actually because yes yes it's coercion but COVID-19 is a motherfucker and sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you (laughs) yeah I mean you know what it is 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 well a humanity's stupid uh if it was 1984 i would have said a different word uh but yeah no it it is it is inherently dumb and uh unfortunately if something like a virus is the the foe at large or that you're dealing with uh it's this you know quasi invisible force you know obviously we see the symptoms and the reaction but you know, and they're able to kind of push off any belief. It's kind of this, well, I don't believe it if I don't see it, you know. And mm-hmm. if 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 COVID-19 was instead, you know, a onslaught of meteors coming down on the earth, mm-hmm. you know, and like flying by cities and like taking out whole communities, you know, people would start saying, what are we going to do to protect ourselves from the meteor death? And, you know, if governments didn't do anything and people continue to get hurt by it you know they would call you know that would cause an uproar you know COVID-19 is the meteor storm that is hitting our communities and is devastating and it needs to have that type of mm-hmm. global literal global response similar to something coming out of nowhere or outer space to to strike us down you know it's our choice to decide what we want to do about that and if people want to say they value freedom, they probably value life. And if you value life, then you mm-hmm. value the options we have to kind of combat this in a way that prolongs the ability for us to, to move on and thrive and, and keep this thing going. So it, it's really a matter of people being dumb and not accepting the science and not accepting things they can't see within touch tangibly with their, uh, their own hands and, um, you know, I do fault partially K through 12 education <laughs> system here. And it's not like I, I have a good, you know, chunk of people in the city I'd call friends, you know, and I would probably venture to say more than half of them never took a biology class, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so let alone take one at a college level, let alone, you know, a series or uh, formulate some type of uh, lab or science or doctor based you know, study. So, and not that everyone has to, my point being that not accepting it because you don't know it is not really an excuse, you know, uh, 
try to find a way to know it, I guess, so that you can now make a, a more determined decision about the situation. Because I do see it as it's just blind faith that they know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and that it um, it isn't going to be uh, a big deal. And then, you know, those are the people who are bringing their family members to the ER. So Yeah, to piggyback off of that, because a lot of times we also hear the refrain of do your own research. Um, but also, because we've talked about on the podcast before, media literacy isn't common. So people can do all their own research, but, and I've seen this with previous other people who have issues with vaccines, have a very emotional reaction to the possibility that vaccines could be ineffective or have adverse effects that are worse than anything a disease can give you. Right, and then say they've done their research, but if you challenge them on the efficacy of their research and, like, the value of it, like, how can, like, what do you do in order to say this person is credible and therefore the statements they're making are credible, right? But people don't seem to do that. They will just look at something, and, of course, it's um, confirmation bias, right? So you look at something, you look for the things that are going to tell you you're right, yeah. Right. And, and that's definitely something, right? Like, because in my early 20s, as I was exploring my atheism, um, I came across the skeptics community. And the skeptics community now is like a little a little weird to me. Like, I kind of maybe want to go to your events and be in it a little bit more, but it kind of crossovers and some unsavory types and, and some people who wouldn't find me very welcoming. So I don't know quite as much, but like, and, when when you practice skepticism, because, and that's another thing, too, is all, like, so I feel like there's two sides of skepticism. There's the performative side of skepticism, which is just blatant disbelief of things you don't understand. And it's all, like, well, you don't know. When skepticism should be, and if you're a practicing skeptic, it's a process. Right. You're allowed to go, I'm unsure about that. Let me but get then back you, to you. <laughs> yeah, and then you ask questions yeah. to try to make yourself sure of it or unsure of it right right and that's exactly what science does when science is done right where it's like you know it has a hypothesis because it observes something it's going to say i think this happened because of such and it's going to challenge it by you know doing an experiment right seeing what happens seeing what outcomes actually happens and reporting those results right and so so that's why i find like like the level and and that's in and going into like just bringing this whole thing back to like you know cities and education and everything right i do have some empathy for people not learning everything because anecdotally as i've mentioned before i've gone to different types of school and i've seen the type of curriculum each of those schools have but i also understand the level of money that was necessary to get the really good education versus the level of money that like that goes into public schooling especially those funded by property taxes yeah and then also just understanding like the systemic things that will keep you from being able to focus from being able to go home and actually do homework right and even i don't even think homework should probably be a thing right i mean it's not like we work jobs and have homework well some people do but (laughs) like yeah yeah and i mean i i honestly think we're gonna see uh how school is done 
really change in the next like 20 25 years i think covid is going to actually be one of the kind of stimulants to that Mm -hmm. uh having all the classrooms indoors having the old system try to mold to a new problem didn't really work but i think with certain technologies and the adaption of the idea of remote learning uh hopefully actual educated instruction will become uh, easier and more attainable and maybe in that sense more cost effective mm-hmm. and and we can kind of improve the level of education everyone has available to them and in ways where people can understand their own best learning practices and methods mm-hmm. uh, which I think is one of the things with school is the kind of cookie cutter approach of you know trying to teach every child the same way over the course of 12 13 years whatever and and obviously people need different you know, level instruction or types of of instruction and you know we've seen changes to that over the last 30 years but uh there's definitely more to be to be done in that level and i definitely think a lot of people who who feel like they failed their way out of the education system probably have some talents that they really could have succeeded uh had had the education system been able to kind of form a little differently for them yeah that's because the education system right now is just in service of making sure that you understand how you're supposed to exist within a capitalist system. <laughs> and, well, I speaking, mean... Speaking of capitalist systems, have you guys been to Target lately? <laughs> well, like, like to piggyback off that, like, the reason why I brought up Pair of Thieves eventually before my whole tangent was to actually criticize uh, why the fuck do we need so many fucking underwear companies? Ooh. Right? Like, my, my point was, like, this whole entire need to be like, oh, hey... I want to be a business owner, so I'm going to create an innovation in a thing that probably doesn't need innovation, right? Yeah. Although, respectively, respectfully, having no swass is nice. Uh, <laughs> yo, Chaz is taking down big undies. <laughs> but, like, no, like, you got, like, Max Weldon, right? You got me undies, right? You got Hanes, Hanes right? Juggernaut. Right. And the then, Budweiser of underwear. Yeah. And then even, and then the the big the big box, not big box stores. Yo, but, Fruit of the Loom. Right, Fruit of Loom. And then, like, the Gap has their own type. The Old Navy has their own, you right? Can, you can go to Tommy. Like, Wa- Tommy Amber Crombie has their own. Tommy Wiseau sells his own underwear, right? director of the room yeah and i'm just like is this optimal use of our resources on this planet right and that's that was where i was like getting at and i think covid and in the hole with the there being um a shortage of workers both like actually a shortage as in people don't want to work those jobs because they understand what those jobs like because their parents had those jobs and their parents like i want better for you please don't Right. Um, but then also what that bars us from having access to, because previously a person could just be like, I got money and I want to make the next, you know, sugar candy. So we're going to do it. Right. And and just this level of abundance and choice that we have now, eventually by the nature of just like fewer people being able to work on it and fewer resources to allocate, there's probably going to be. I mean, that sounds like a command economy. I hope not that case, right? But um, but that there's just going to be, like, fewer people that will be able to open up business for frivolous things. Yeah. Right? And, and but, we, like, the reason why it happens now is we live in a society where the only four ways for you to make money is to be an employee, self-employed, a business owner, or an investor. And the only thing, one, you get access to from the beginning is being an employee. 
Right. And then once you get enough money um, or if you have someone give you enough money, you can become a business owner. Right. Hire employees and make yourself rich. Yeah. So this is why. And then the main factor we use in order to tell people how they get rich is through small, minuscule innovations. Um, and so I understand the whole thing. And, I, and that's why I wanted to bring that up because I was like. Yes, I get it, right? Like, we need underwear, we need clothes, right? But do we need all these options, like, especially post-COVID? Like, are we really, like, with the supply chains and everything, are we going to rethink consumerism? Because I that's the thing that bothers me the most, I guess, is consumerism is one hell of a way to design an economy, right? And, and everything is just about consumption, right? Yeah. And then when things are finite, and but your system acts like it ain't. What's gonna happen? What happens when it implodes? Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, we've gone kind of off the rail as far as it, but like the, you know, if you read the Wealth of Nations, mm -hmm. you know, there are some predictors in there, the models of this, and and it was thought out. Like they didn't necessarily see it as ales because they were mm -hmm. kind of in a, a mercantile system. You know, they were trying to improve business and. And, and supply chain and, and you know they kind of thought the earth of, as this perpetual abundant provider mm -hmm. you know um and so they didn't see anything wrong with continually abusing that resource or mm -hmm. that there was abuse in any fashion and so you know when you look at our economy is based on that model essentially like almost directly influenced from, mm -hmm. from that work uh you you can start to see that it's broken from from the get you mm -hmm. know and we're going to continue. I mean, we've talked about it before that capitalism, if, if you made something, you would really want like human capitalism where like mm -hmm. the, the, the wealth of your nation is based on the livelihood and happiness of your people. You know, like how do mm -hmm. you do that? You know, and it's actually a plausible kind of situation. But like because ours is on uh, this money system, finite money system based on uh, value that's uh, controlled from a central area and like. All these things, you know, it, it it dehumanizes the process, and we see that a lot in the in large corporations, which has gone through cycles all throughout history of the trusts and all these other things. So, yeah, man, uh, we're against the system. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna say this is a good time to interrupt this, and you know, um, uh, uh, mini interruption. Shout out to my Mariners for having an exciting final two months of the season. Yeah, yeah. Not making the playoffs as per the usual the last 20 years. Uh, sorry about that, guys. Came close. Uh, it was exciting, and uh, here's to next year. Uh, as always, uh, guys, I've been watching a lot of stuff. So this is a, a, a piece of Mikkel's interruption segment called What Am I Watching? <laughs> and it's when I'm going to answer the question of what I'm watching. And so lately, uh, I've been devouring a few of my favorite things, which are usually either autobiographical or at least, to some sense, historical documentary series. Oh. Uh, and I got a few in store for you. Uh, I'm going to start off with Ken Burns' new project on the public broadcasting system, PBS, if you will. Uh, Muhammad Ali uh, is a four-part Muhammad Ali series, and uh, it, is, it is very interesting. Uh, for me personally, I knew Muhammad Ali as the boxer. Uh, I knew about him lighting the torch, I believe, at the 92, uh, 96 Atlanta Games. 
Uh, and so, like, I, I have, you know, those kind of connections. Uh, I knew there was, you know, some uh, resistance to going to Vietnam at some point, but I didn't even know really the whole story about that. So I was coming into it with basically just knowing uh, his series of opponents he was going to get in the ring and not knowing all the kind of backstory around it. And it is fascinating, you know. In this segment, I'm going to go through a few, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it. But, yeah, you learn about his kind of political aspirations multiple times in his life where he stood up for causes or situations that he believed in. Um, being kind of one of the first uh, identities of a public figure who, to some degree, uh, believed in Islam and was Muslim, you know, uh, it's a it's it's a it's a certain situation with the history of the religion that he was a part of that it was both you know created here in America but also tied to Muslim beliefs and then through time it kind of changed and evolved and ultimately it kind of more so started adapting like Quran uh, Muslim kind of uh, rituals and prayers and beliefs and kind of that value system but. Anyway, so he and so and it was like ignored by a lot of the press. They kind of they kind of would try to call him by his previous name, uh, and so the the storyline on that it it goes all throughout the sixty. It goes through a very tumultuous time of America. It's the 60s, 70s, and eighties. Okay, yeah. And so um, it's an interesting documentary about overcoming persecution, standing up for what you believe in. Uh, comebacks, and it's also uh, a bit of a tragedy if you know anything about uh, his his health issues and things that he faced later in life. So, mm -hmm. if you're looking for a long documentary series, it's available online free at pbs.org, so you don't even have to pay money or sign up for anything. Uh, check out Ken Burns's uh, Muhammad Ali documentary. Uh, another documentary that I saw recently is in the 30 for 30 series from ESPN, oh. and it was called One Night in Queens. Oh, interesting. And it's about the 86 Mets. Oh. Which were the 86 Miracle Mets. Uh, they, uh, you know, took the city by storm. They won a ton of games. They ended up winning the World Series against uh, a hapless Boston Red Sox team uh, that had thought they had won it all when they were up by uh, a run or so. And, and there was two strikes and two outs and, Mm. A ball went under the legs of uh, Bill Buckner, and it changed history forever. Oh, okay. Um, I want to watch this. So that one also, I believe, is a four-part series. Oh. And it also deals directly with um, teammates um, Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry's uh, rise as young baseball prospects and difficulties with substance abuse in the 80s. And being, um, you know, popular black figures in an era where, you know, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the team as far as, like, uh, drugs and, and domestic stuff. So for them to have to navigate that, it, it focuses on that for a period of time. It focuses on the team. It gives you a little bit of history of what the Mets were before that kind of era. And then the, you know, kind of cherry on top is, is the kind of the, the miracle season. And then they just give you a little bit of aftertaste um, from them about, you know, it, it was the greatest time of their lives. And, and most of the people have, you know, overcome a lot of the difficulties and um, are doing pretty good, you know. So, nice. yeah. So I would check out if you like the 30 for 30 series, uh, the one night in Queens. And, and then as like, because I had watched the Muhammad Ali one, this link came up to watch uh, Citizen Hearst. 
which is about uh, William Randolph Hearst. Oh, okay. And, you know, it was interesting. It um, It's just very telling about someone who became a media mogul at a time where we didn't even know what that meant mm-hmm. and kind of formed the the same kind of cookie, or not the cookie cutter, not to keep going back to that analogy, mm-hmm. but the idea that it eventually was followed by, like, Rupert Murdoch and Fox News and even ultimately, like, Trump's media campaign to run for president and how he orchestrated it. The idea of the singular voice that says what they want and, and gets what they want, but doesn't even need facts necessarily to achieve it and uses um, the the fantasism and, and just the pure eyeballs that they get on their media landscape that they're able to um, affect change and, and public uh, awareness and, and certain things. And so he was kind of the first to do all that and then he also started dabbling in radio right away and then started dabbling in the movie business right away. Oh, okay. And then his personal life was always, like, wild as shit. So uh, it's interesting. He, you know, ultimately uh, is probably not, I would say, a, a public figure that I would consider a positive influence. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he definitely pulled some, some shady shit throughout his life, but... Uh, there were times that because, you know, it was probably because it was financially benefiting to him. He did support certain causes and he did have the capability to enact um, policy change just through owning so many newspapers and so many districts and cities. So mm-hmm. uh, it was a very interesting uh, up down kind of view of, of a figure, you know, long since past, but still. Um, you know, putting putting effect on us today just based on how media affects people. And so uh, I think that's really it. Um, I did watch uh, a neat little show that's on Hulu uh, called uh, Reservation Dogs. Oh, I keep hearing about that. It's, I hear good things. It's pretty dark. Uh, it's really, the first episode is hilarious. Uh, I think me personally, to, to, to like really watch the show and love it, I wish it kind of held that throughout. But they tell a very interesting and like modern story, and they're able to kind of uh, give you a, a a sense of what it's like living in, in that little small community reservation that they're in, and and I, so I do recommend it. But it definitely takes a dark turn, it's, so it's not a happy-go-lucky comedy. There is comedy throughout it, but it uh, it's definitely a little more drama. But yeah, it was good, and uh, yeah, that uh, you know what? Because I always like to pitch this as a as a as a bonus segment with both of us, uh, what 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 is like a top thing you've been watching, Chaz? Oh gosh, hmm. Let me see. Well, I I am I am a network TV junkie, so I've been watching some network TV. Uh, Nine One One is back, and it's <laughs> it's just as ridiculous as ever. Um, I also watched the new episodes of Station Nineteen and Grey's Anatomy, and. Like I do, I do like um, Station Nineteen is now doing the thing where it's supposed to be post pandemic. People are fine. Like it's supposed to be that world. Um, wow, like that's kind of messy in a way, you know? Because who knows how long we're gonna be in this? But I like that just for like storyline purposes. You can kinda, oh yeah, you can move past the masks and all that. But like also, oh oh no, they give a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Kind of a rosy outlook, if you ask me. Right? Are oh. they giving dates? They're like, well, welcome to January twenty third, two thousand twenty three. No, like, wink no. at the camera. <laughs> it's been two years since anyone gave a fuck about that thing we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> Corona. 
Right. I mean, the good doctor did that shit like it during the pandemic. Right. And he did two episodes of the pandemic and then episode three. They're like, so this is a fictional world that's post pandemic, even though that we know it's raging right now. So uh, and, and now Grey's Anatomy and Station 19 did the same thing. I don't know if any of the other medical dramas have done that. It's uh, like, is this is this where Hugh Laurie gets the phone call and we bring back House? Uh-huh. And it's just a three part series of him solving coronavirus. Oh my god! Yeah, that'd be hilarious. What else? Um, oh, there's a. I guess the final season of Dear White People is on Netflix, and it's a musical series, and they have flashes to the future. And in that one, they actually give some satire and. Uh, political commentary to what's going on right now. Like, I've only seen um, part of the first episode, but in part of it, they're in a coffee shop, and then they're like, oh, no, we ought to lock down for one hour because of um, the Irish flu or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, right? And, wow. <laughs> and, and then, like, Sam, the main character, has this very, like, elaborate mask on, and then the other character has a mask on, too, so, like, it's kind of like mask wearing. This is going like like I feel like that was an interesting take on what the future would look like based yeah. on what we know now. Um, it's just like it's just Joey and and uh, and and Phoebe going to the vaccination clinic, <laughs> and then and then you know Phoebe goes to the grocery store and 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 Joey goes to the hospital and they're both frontline workers. Friends, I think that you know what I mean. It's like that's what the sitcom world like thinks of it. They're like, oh well, guess we mm-hmm. got to include coronavirus in this episode. How do we want to show it? They're like, uh, all right, what do we got? Uh, characters use sanitizer a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, people are definitely seen in masks. Uh, maybe some signs that say "Stay six feet away." I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Call call artists and props. Let's get it going. Yeah, because I haven't watched any like documentaries or anything like that like i need to catch the last two episodes of like you know our main man larry krasner still gotta finish that there's just there's so there's so much there's so there's well, so much it's 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 funny too because now that now that you point that out all the things that i watched were uh filmed pre-pandemic and or were about society pre-pandemic <laughs> like i i'm like wondering slightly if that's just i was just reaching out to the nostalgia of a world that wasn't infected yet I mean, you could be like if wow. it, it's I'm it, it I'm still like I'm not in a weird place mentally like I was during part of the pandemic, but it still feels weird. Like, yes. like I I want to go out do things, but I still don't feel like I'm still trying to adjust to this new status quo. So coronavirus is Mercury constantly in retrograde. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Uh, so that's the end of my interruption segment. Is there anything you want to leave the folks with? Because we have done our hour, uh, our public therapy session called the podcast. Yes, <laughs> is uh, is almost complete. What do you want to leave the listeners with? I mean, uh, even though bitch ass Joe Biden said that we could um, outmaneuver, not outmaneuver, um, out organize uh, voter suppression, we should still be trying to out organize voter suppression. So you know. We've got just about 400 days until the uh, 2022 midterms. So we're going to start doing some reporting on that to let you know, like, where the hotspots are going to be. Like, we're going to see where the gerrymandering is going to take place and how that's going to affect, like, the seats in the House. Because, you know, there's a very slim margin in the House right now, too. 
Also, make sure you take a look at what your local elections are doing because, you know, right here in uh, Seattle in the, the general election, we have Lorena Gonzalez and Bruce Harrell going for the the mayor position right now because, thankfully, Jenny Durkin is stepping down. Hey. Right? Like, I love what you did for the glass ceiling, girl, but I do not like your politics. Nope. Um, Say hi to Obama. <laughs> She worked. She worked in Obama's uh, right. cabinet at one point, folks. That was that. It's not just because they're both like unemployed right now. <laughs> Obama be spending that Netflix money, man. Right, she'll be all right. <laughs> Maybe she, we can. Can we see her on a jet ski? Is that next? What if like post mayor Jenny Durkin is like, I'm so sorry. I'm so good actually. I mean, she's gonna write a book and then just be chill about it. Right, That's probably true. Right, and I think she's probably just like I. Everyone saw her political means to be like, you don't really want to be the mayor of our city. This is a political stepping stone for you. Are we? Is that the move? Like, should we write a book? Should we just do how you live in the book? The, no, how you living? How you live in the podcast? The book. <laughs> and then we write a book about the topics that we talk about on the podcast, but we talk about it in the frame of us talking about it. <laughs> and then here's the here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. We read our own audio book. <laughs> I mean, of course. So we do our own audio recording yeah. of us discussing our audio recordings, talking about politics. Yeah, guys, you can't you can't <laughs> steal that idea because the idea literally is just our life. So, uh, check your local uh, Barnes and Noble and use the code Chaz to save fifteen percent on the How You Living podcast, the book, uh, and available on Audible dot com slash Chaz. Um, man, this has been fun, dude. I yep. love I love getting getting into the nuts and bolts of it all. Uh, like he said, uh, go out there, participate, uh, get involved. Uh, you can get a hold of us at the email for the show, which is h y l b o x at gmail dot com. It's bye, the bye. how you live in box h y l b o x at gmail dot com. You can hit me up on the Twitter sphere. I'm never on there, but it's C Town Mayor. I might see it. And you can get at Chaz. He's always what? Uh, you can catch me on the Instagrams, the TikToks, or the Twitter. Is all at Chaz underscore Baz. One Z in the Chaz, two Zs in the Baz, baby. Hey. All right. Uh, I think that's it. We crossed the thresh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good hanging out with you, man. Good hanging out with you too. All right. Peace. Peace. You don't know it's right, my nigga. I'm with it. I know it got you froze, my nigga. I feel it. Some niggas be running away from life. Some niggas cut off the legs. If I was you, I'd be dead. Yeah, whatever gon' keep your mind blown, my nigga maintain the will. My partner know I just came back, see I've been dead for real.